big journey of eight series and uh, eight, uh, eight topics in the series. And I want to thank God for how he has helped us in the many, many ways to look at this love of God that is shared abroad in our hearts to help us to walk in loving what God loves and hating what God hates. God gave me this message about a year ago that there is love. To love God does not just mean we say we love God and we love people as commanded by Jesus. But part of our demonstration of the love for God must be that we hate what he hates. And the Bible makes us to see, that is why we went through all those things from Proverbs 6, from 16 to 19, that God hates pride. He hates deception. He hates, please put back the banner. He hates pride. He hates deception. He hates bloodshed. He hates wickedness. He hates evil associations. He hates false witnessing, like we saw last week. And God hates those who sow discord. This is something we we're going to look at today. These two topics from last week and today are very similar, but I'm going to make the clear distinction as to why I'm sure the Bible separates them for us as well. If you love me, you will love what I love and you will hate what I hate. That is the simple thing about the relationships. Relationships are fostered and are made simply because we have commonality in what we love. We may have variants of it, but we have commonality in what we love and commonality in what we reject and hate. So thank you for the banner. We are looking today on the power to hate sowing discords. The power to hate sowing discords. The power to hate sowing discord. Romans 5.5 has been our anchor scripture. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we want to thank God for giving us that privilege to have the love of God working in our hearts. So if we are people who love God, we must, like I said over and over, love what he loves and hate what he hates. God loves people. Say with me, God loves people. Say, I must love people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter whether they believe what you believe. It doesn't matter whether they hate you. It doesn't matter whether they don't like you. God loves people. His commandment is that you love him and you love people, neighbors, your neighbors, other people as yourself. So we don't select people that we love. We don't love people because they believe in what we believe. They don't love people because they look like us. They don't love people because they enjoy. We, we, we don't love people because we, 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 you know, we enjoy the same thing alone. We are commanded to love people, so we must love people. So that must be settled. When we have this settled, we will see why we need to hate those things that God hates. Because everything God hates are things that make life difficult for people or even claim the lives of people. When he says we should hate hands that shed innocent blood, it means that we should hate everything that causes people to lose their lives, lose their reputation, lose their dignity. We must also hate those things. So, in Proverbs chapter 6, from verse 16 to 19, we have seen those six and seven things. And if you count them, they are actually seven. All my theological life, I've been trying to study what is the six, what is the seven. I've had so many messages and schools of thought that the first six are the six, the last is the seventh, the one we are looking at today. As far as I'm concerned, seven 
God, the Bible says, there are seven that is an abomination to him. So that is good enough for me. So everything in the list is what he doesn't like. Verse 19, let's go there. He doesn't like a false, he hates a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among One who sows discord among brethren. This is very important. God is people who sow discords. Now, don't forget, God loves people. But when the action of people is about sowing discord amongst brethren, God hates that very act. He doesn't like it. They are an abomination to him. So in this final session, our focus is to see on God's hatred of one who sows discord among brethren. I want to define sowing discord as an intentional act that seeks to cause friction between two or more people. An intentional act or action that has one sole purpose, to cause friction or separation amongst people or a group of people, two people or more. So it goes a little bit beyond what we have been discussing and particularly what we discussed last week. Last week we said a false witness always seeks to malign people, seeks to exaggerate, seeks to do these things, and seeks to damage the reputation of others. That is one step of it. But when that action is done and carried into a place whereby the intention is not just to bring down the person, but to actually cause a problem between that person and somebody else or a group of people, that graduates, that kind of action moves into sowing discord, and God hates it. Anyone who partakes of such evil, speaking of others, is considered as one who judges. And God does not want us to be judges. James chapter 4, verse 11. We read it last week, but we'll read it again today. James 4, 11. The Bible says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. He said, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, he said, judge not so that you will not be judged. We are not in any position to judge another. And every time we go and categorically say something about a person, especially something about what they have done negatively, and we put a finality to it, it simply means we have judged them. Every one of us must understand that it is very easy to judge. That is why Jesus said, you must watch it, you must not give yourself to it. Verse 12 says, there is only one lawgiver, one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you and I to judge one another? We are not in any position whatsoever to judge another person. No pastor has a right to judge any church member. No Church member has a right to judge another person or judge a pastor. We can correct one another. We can observe when there is an erring, when there is a deviation. We to be corrected and we need to have instructions that should help us in righteousness. We should talk about those things, but never from a judgmental attitude and a judgmental position. We must be very careful. And so sowing discord is a sign of a perverted heart. God hates it. I'm going to be reading a lot from the book of Proverbs and a lot very much today because when you go over them again, they will help you to understand 
and see God's heart about this particular aspect of what he hates. Proverbs 15. The Bible says perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Anyone who has a perverse heart, anyone who does not allow his heart to continue to be and continually be taken over by the love of God that has been shed abroad there will have a potential will have a potential to be devising evil continually and sowing discord. My question is this. The Bible says every one of us should continue to examine our hearts to see if we are in the faith. And what most of us do is that we just check whether we still pray, whether we still like to sing songs, whether we still like to go to church, whether we still like to share with people, and so on. We say those things, and uh, we believe that that is a measure of how much we love God and how much we are still in the faith. But the reality is that it goes beyond that. You need to look at yourself very well. I always say this very simple truth. When you think about a person, what do you immediately think of, especially a child of God? Do you first remember them as a child of God, or do you remember their faults, or do you see their faults? What do you immediately see? Those things will tell you whether there is perversity in your heart or not. It will tell you whether your heart is truly regenerated or not. When God looks at us, what he sees is the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Every time he looks at humanity whether they are saved or not. Because the blood of the Son Jesus, His Son Jesus Christ was shed so that all men might be saved. Those of us who have been saved have passed through that sieve and are now on the other side where He sees us in the context of the blood. But every other person, He's seen them under the blood by His mercy, still waiting for them to respond to His gracious act of love. You and I must check our heart. If I ask you, do you know King David in the Bible? What first comes to your mind? Is it Bathsheba or Goliath? Check yourself. If I ask you about Samson, what first comes to your mind? Is it Delilah or the fact that he prayed one more time and he pushed those temple pillars apart and they collapsed because God had his prayer in the last minute of his life? If I tell you about the robber at the right hand of Jesus Christ, is it the fact that he was a robber that comes to your mind or the fact that Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise? Check your heart. Check your heart. Many believers need to understand that as long as our minds continue to fix ourselves on the things that are inadequate in others, what happens is that we get our hearts more perverse and it becomes very difficult for us to walk in righteousness and also we find ourselves devising evil much more and sowing discord so easily. God doesn't like it. Go to verse 15. He said, when a person lives like that, he said, therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. May God deliver us from calamity. I say, may God deliver us from calamity. He said, therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. (laughs) God hates those those actions that continue to make us live in perversity of mind and so in discord. I want to give us three things that I believe are satanic tools of discord sowing. There are three aspects of life that we must watch out for. Some of those things we have talked about last week, like I said, always remember bearing false witness is like a first step to sowing discord. A person can bear false witness without necessarily wanting to sow discord. They can just want to malign a person's character. 
They might just want to, you know, uh, uh, defame a person's integrity and so on. Without necessarily wanting to sow discord. But when the act is taken further, and what they intend to do is to actually cause people to fight, to separate, or to have a misunderstanding, or to come into a place of argument, that becomes sowing discord. So I'm going to group one group, or I'm going to put a few things together in one group that we must be careful not to be partakers of because they are tantamount to things that make us so discord among brothers. The first thing is rumor-mongering, gossip, and tail-bearing. I put them in one group. Say with me, rumor-mongering, gossip, and tail-bearing. You see, these things are things that we have taken for granted. In fact, they have become so much part of us that many of us feel that, you know, spreading a rumor is a normal thing. This is not God's intention. This is not God's desire. A rumor simply is anything that is unconfirmed, but is widely spread as a story or a statement about a matter or a person. Last week, we were talking specifically about witnessing against people. In this case, rumor-mongering may be about a person, but it doesn't always have to be about a person. It can be about a situation. It can be about an occurrence. An occurrence in a family, an occurrence in the workplace, an occurrence in the, in the church. It can be an occurrence. But rumor-mongering seeks to not confirm these things and seek to just want to spread them widely. It's very similar to gossip and tale-bearing. They don't carry factual certainty. The truth is, anybody spreading a rumor, in many cases, are not even sure of what they are saying. They have only heard it from somebody else, and they have heard it from another person who heard it from another person, and then they become partakers of it. God does not like us to be like that. We must be people who are determined not to be rumor-mongers. Rumor-mongering is not just about saying it. It's also about partaking of it and enjoying it. We cannot avoid people coming to us to say things. And this has nothing to do with where we need to address matters that we don't address them. I've stressed this over and over again. But where the intention is just to end up spreading a matter for the sake of just saying it so that there is a particular tension created in a place. It becomes rumor-mongering. It becomes gossip. And it becomes tail-bearing that is carefully orchestrated to sow discord amongst brothers. How many marriages have been destroyed today because rumors were spread about spouses to their spouses? How many marriages have been, have been destroyed today because somebody bore a false tale about a person, or even a true thing, but should have been said at a different time in a different context. Said to a person, the person not reasoning straight, and then it becomes a tool of discord. How many churches have been destroyed in terms of their separation today? Not because God wanted them to separate and spread, but because rumors were not handled correctly. Every one of us must understand God does not like it. Proverbs 17 verse 9 he said, he who covers a transgression seeks love. That is not to say God is encouraging transgressions, but God is saying handle transgressions from a position of love. What is your motive of going to tell somebody else something that is a fault of a third party? 
Is it to really seek a solution to help them out of it? Or is it to spoil their character? Or to even much worse, defame them in the presence of the person that you are talking about? We must be careful how we repeat matters. The Bible says, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. He who just goes raw to repeat a matter and intentionally just wants people to, uh, to, to, to just take the matter as it is without caring the fact that this can lead to many broken relationships unnecessarily is a person who is sowing discord and we should not be such a person. We must be careful how we repeat matters, even when we say we are bringing them up as prayer points. I have been around believers all my life. At times, all their prayer points is nothing but gossip. Nothing but pure gossip. Just wanting to talk about somebody and say, brothers, let us pray. That is where the prayer ended. Every other thing after that is just a tale of a gossip. We must not live like that. We must be people who intentionally check from our hearts. This thing I'm about to say, is it necessary to say it here? Is this the right audience to hear it? Even if it was a true thing, but it does not bring glory to God, and it has the potential to cause a problem. Is it the right way to say it? If you find that a man, for example, was... Uh, God forbid, God forbid, and God forbid, a brother was caught, and you can see clearly that this was an act of adultery. Now, is it a wise thing to just go straight to his wife to tell him, because this is a brother, or is it wiser to come to his pastor, or somebody that's an elder, somebody that can handle things maturely, to know how to deal with that matter so that it can be put in the context of the family and addressed properly before it causes unnecessary problem. You have to ask yourself, what is my motive? So every time you wait, now this has nothing to do with trying to cover, cover up the act. This is all about having to do with making sure that the act, the unfortunate foolish act, is treated and acted upon in the love of God. Hallelujah. Believers must understand that this is who we are. Listen, friends, Jesus Christ himself stood before a woman, or she was, she, he was kneeling down, and a woman came and knelt down before him. This was a woman caught in adultery, not that they were suspecting that she was in adultery. But what did Jesus say? Jesus had no conversation with any other person about that woman. He did not look at the people around and say, yes, I know that this is wrong. I know that this is that. And join in their conversations. Rather, he asked them a question. He said, if you too, you are without a, a, a fault, be the first person to cast a stone. And one after the other, they left. Then he faced the one who needs the conversation of repentance. So there is a way to address matters, whether they are a, a, a rumor that, has a, a, that is not factual or they are actual, an actual event that has happened. There is a way that they must be addressed so that they don't sow discord. We must be careful about this. Proverbs 16:28 says, A perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. A whisperer there refers to somebody who is... A gossip. Have you heard? It's usually their first line of talk. Have you heard? Have you heard? My philosophy has always been, I have not heard and I don't want to hear. 
I have not heard, thank you, and I don't want to hear. But you know, this is this. If you come and tell me something, and you, the moment you say you don't want me to tell that you are the one that told me, don't bother to come and say it. Don't bother to come and say it. I mean it. Anything you cannot, and I, this is how we must understand these things. Anything you cannot confidently say, I said so, don't bother to go and say it. And don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Anyone who cannot tell you that I said so. Because the fact that you are not confident to repeat what you are saying in another place simply means that there is an element of it that is not true. This may sound hard and tough, but this is how we must live. I'll keep repeating. This has nothing to do with trying to conceal things that should be exposed. But this idea of flippantly going about and just talking the way we like and criticizing things the way we like must stop. We must always ask, what is my motive? This thing I want to say to Mr. B about Mr. A, what is my motive? Is it to make sure that it is addressed properly? Number one. Then if it is so, does Mr. B have capacity to do it? If he doesn't have capacity to do it, then the test is, is falling. I must not say to Mr. B, I must go and say to Mr. D, who truly has capacity to do it? Who has capacity to address it appropriately? Because all it will do to Mr. B will just be another gossip because he is not in a place to do it. This is why you should not discuss church matters and things that can pervert and pollute the heart of your children with them. Some parents will sit down and be talking about people they don't like in church to their children. An irony. They sit down and discuss with people that cannot do anything about it. And those young ones are wondering, but we go here every day and I saw you even hugging them last Sunday. <laughs> you were hugging them, dad. They may not say it to you, mom. They may not say it to you, but they saw you. So you are confusing their mind and they are wondering, what is this Christianity? That is why when some of them become teenagers, they say, I don't want it. I don't want it. It's sheer hypocrisy. You don't live like that. This thing needs to be discussed. Take it to the matters and take it to the person that can handle it and that should be able to handle it. This is what the Bible teaches us. Let us be very careful what we, what we sow. It says a perverse man sows strife. Some people sow strife in the workplace. Anyone who is always talking about other people when they come to your desk and come to your office, be wary of them. And don't think they like you so much. The moment they leave your office, they are talking about you too. <laughs> the moment they leave your office and they are entering the other place, you are the subject of the, their discussion. Such people are, are just terrible, <laughs> to use the one word for it. There was a story of uh, three, three preachers who were, they, were, they, they went, they said, let's, let's just relax today, let's go and uh, do some fishing. And uh, let, they took a boat and went out to a lake somewhere in a far in, in a country, and uh, things started going well. Very serene environment, and uh, they felt, you know, men of God, we never really have chance to unwind, and all the time, the, the problem we have is we're always busy, you know, family, church, people, work, all these things, that this is a very good opportunity for us to really relax, and this relaxation, let's make it a, a, a part of how we are accountable to one another. So let's discuss whatever have been our challenges so that we can be praying for one another. So one of them said, the first person said, actually, my problem is that I still drink and I can't control my drinking. But somehow I managed to put up a show on a Sunday. And uh, 
please pray for me, my brothers. And they, they both said, oh, wow. God strengthen you, my brother. God strengthen you. The second one will speak. He said, you know, my problem is that I'm a gambling addict. Every Saturday, I still try the numbers. I try the numbers. And it's affecting my finances at times. I even, you know, find myself dipping into church funds to do it. It's really terrible. I feel so bad doing it. And then they say, oh, brother, we'll pray for you. Then the third one, he didn't talk. They said, ah, <laughs> pastor, why are you not talking? He said, I have a problem. <laughs> they said, no, you must talk because we, we have said our own. <laughs> so the man said, you see, the problem is that I'm a very terrible gossip. <laughs> and I'm just itching to get back to land to go and say everything that you have told me now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it is a very, very terrible thing you can see. <laughs> Of course, that was a joke. I don't believe it ever happened, but I think, imagine that scenario. Imagine that scenario. It is a, <laughs> it is a terrible thing to have an uncontrollable attitude of gossip. We must fight it because what it does is it goes ahead to sow uh, discord among brothers. Proverbs 26, verse 20. It says, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Hey, where there is nothing to fuel the gossip further, the fire goes out. Be that person that removes the wood that is trying to spread the tale. Be that person that is removing the wood. If every church has people who are always removing the wood when there is a tale bearing and a gossip that has a potential to cause problems, they remove the wood and look for a better way to address what has happened than just allowing stories that are unfounded to fester such places such people will be people who put out the fire. The Bible says where there is no tail bearer, what will cease? Strife. Strife will cease. Where there are people, where there is nobody who is always seeking to push news A to group one and, and, and the news from group one to group two and just making sure that they are not, you know, tail bearing. He said where those people don't exist, there can't be strife. Strife is usually caused among brothers because people have sown discords. They have sown the seed of discourse. So we have to be people who are intentionally resisting tail-bearing. We have to be people who make it our culture. One of the things that we have as a core value in this church is to trust in God and to trust one another as a people under God. So it is a very, very important core value for us. If I say to you, this is where I will be, at that time, I don't want you to think twice that his pastor saying true, is he maybe this and that. No, no, no. That I have said this is where I will be to settle it. And if you come to me and I say to you, let's meet tomorrow at 10 a.m. And you say to me, I can't meet you at 10 because I will be at so, so, so place. I don't want to be thinking that you are just deceiving me. I don't want to, you to, be, I don't want to have to go home and be thinking. Maybe he just doesn't want to be there or not. In this place, it is a very important thing for us that we make sure that we don't allow one another not to be able to trust one another. We don't trust in one another because that brings a curse. But we trust one another under God. It's very important. We need to be people who are also wary of those who like to sow discord and tail-bearing and gossip. We need to be very wary of them. When you notice that there are people who are living like that, they need help. They need help. You don't just, you know, talk about it and, uh, you know, send them off. 
but you need to find a way to make sure that they are properly counseled and they are properly helped. Again, talking to the right persons who will be in a position to do so. Don't, don't take a tailbearer's problem to other people and become another tailbearer of it <laughs> in the name of trying to solve the problem. <laughs> Go to the right places and say, brother, I have, I, I have a challenge here. Meet the pastors, meet, meet the leaders, maybe the leader of the group, and say, I think there's a challenge here. Maybe we might need to have a word with Brother this or Sister this. I noticed that they go and they say things a lot of times that are unfounded and resolve it in love. If you cannot do that with them and you need to speak to other people, then you take it that way. That is how God expects us to deal with these matters. Romans 16, verse 17. He said, now I urge you, brethren, not those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learn." And avoid them. Avoid them. Doesn't mean hate them. It simply means be careful of them. Don't foil that tendency for them. When they come to you to bring the, the tail bearing, make sure that you gently in love. Don't tell them, get away, sister this, you have come again. Or brother this, you have come again. Gently resist them by not entertaining the discussion. He said, for those who do such, verse 18, do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own what? Their own belly. Verse 18, they serve their own belly, and by their smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Let us be very careful to make sure that we don't entertain such. So listening to gossip, as I've said, is also evil in God's sight. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 4. He said, an evil doer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. An evil doer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. If your heart likes to listen to gossip, it just soothes your body somehow. You need to ask God to help you. It should not be something that you are happy to hear. To keep enjoying hearing the the downfall of others or something negative about others or something negative that has happened somewhere, and enjoying it is not a good tendency. The Bible says it is the heart of an evildoer. It heeds to false lips. A liar is the one who listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. Let us not be people who are evildoers in the eyes of God or liars in his, in his eyes. Let's be people who are very concerned with addressing matters. In my life, in church life, I have these two years have heard things, 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 many things about people. And of course, many, many things said about me. Not many times not said directly to me, but heard from others and validated that it was actually said. But what I have found is that as long as you walk in the truth, as long as you make God your focus, you should never ever allow yourself to compromise with this kind of lifestyles where you are giving heed to false lips and you compromise by having a spiteful tongue. God will continue to give us wisdom in the mighty name of Jesus. We are in such times that are very perilous and many, many things will be happening around us and we have to make up our minds not to be a partaker. And I tell you, the Bible says, do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, he will do what? He will reap. If you sow the seed of discord 
in somebody else's marriage, it's just a matter of time it's coming to you. If you sow it into somebody's, in, into a group of people in, in, and it affected certain people's lives, it's just a matter of time it's coming back to you. Don't sow bad seed. Don't sow bad seed. I say this respectfully and humbly at the same time by the grace and mercies of God. One of the biggest assurances I have today by the grace of God, I'm not boasting about this, but assurance according to God's word that I have today in ministry is that I cannot be supplanted because I have never supplanted anyone. I have never, I've worked with pastors, at least four, some of them are in this country, that I have served directly under. I have never misrepresented them before people. So anybody who tries to do that for me will just get the fight of God. It's my confidence. I have never sown the seed. I can never see it in my harvest. But if you are not careful today and you think it is just a flippant thing, you do this, you spoil this one's business, you do this, you spoil that one's ministry, you do this, it is just a matter of time. If it doesn't catch up with you, your children are waiting. It's terrible. Don't do evil. Don't sow evil. Whatever you do every day, ensure that you are sowing the right seed. In the year 2012, I was serving in another ministry, the last ministry I served with a pastor before starting LifeGate by God's grace a year after. I was in New Jersey, and uh, I was there for a conference. It was one of those times, I think, yeah, my wife did not go with me. I went alone. And so I was just relaxing in the hotel room, and then I got a call from one of the brothers in the church, somebody that was very close to me. And he said something about the pastor that was, I said, are you sure? And he was really furious. He said he did this, and he was not happy, and this and that. His wife is also involved, and he was really raking on the phone. I said, calm down, brother. Calm down, calm down, calm down. I said, all these things you have said to me, are you sure it's like that? He said, how can, I be, how can he be telling me if he's not sure? I said, do you know something? I said, there could be a misrepresentation. There could be a misrepresentation of the man of God. I said, what I will advise you to do is this. I said, go and speak to him and tell him. Don't tell him you have spoken to me. There's no need for that. You just go and say, this is what you feel about certain things that happened and what he said. He said, ha, that will he listen to you? I said, of course. Are you not his brother? He will listen to you. This is what amazes me about people. They don't go to talk to people and they just assume that the person is, you know, he's gone haywire and they've gone all, taking all kinds of decisions. Go and speak to him. He's, not a, he's just another fellow human being. That they call him pastor, go and speak to him in love. Say, sir, I have this thing I want to say. I am not happy about A, B, C, and I want you to please let me know whether I got things wrong or whatever. And then he went. And I said to him, I said, if you speak to him and there is any other result other than it being resolved, when I come back, let me know. I will personally now take it up and speak to him. I said, but other than that, if you resolve it, let it end there. I said, you don't need to let him know you've told me. And you don't need, and I said, please don't tell anybody else. Go straight to him. Go straight to him. And this brother went there. And he spoke to the man. And the man of God said, I didn't know. I didn't see it this way. This is what I was trying to say. This is what I was trying to do. And one by one, all the points, my brother had listed the bullet points that he was taking there to go and fire the pastor. The pastor clarified himself. And then, you know, it was resolved. When I got back, the brother said, Pastor Dave, thank you so much. Thank you so much. If I didn't go to him, I'll have to. I said, that is what it is. And that's what happens many times. As I speak to you today, they are still together in the same ministry. It was very easy that time. The brother was almost disgruntled to be living. 
It was, it was the devil had come in that strongly, painted the wrong picture of what was happening. We've got to be very careful. Now, if the, when he called me, I say, eh, is that so? You mean this is happening? And then I carry the phone and do all of that. What, what would that make of me today? Think about it. What would that make of me today? You must be somebody who has the wisdom. If you don't know what to do, pray and ask God to give you wisdom. Whoever God leads you to, to, to talk to, that is somebody who is more mature, that can help you, should be there. Let us be very careful. These things I practice, as you know, many of you know, for the past 30 years I've been in education and professional engineering. These things happen everywhere. It's not just church matters. When I work with people on projects and I have architects and people that I work with, quantity surveyors, and my intention is always to make sure that we finish a project. There is no engineering project that I've been involved in that will not be very tough to get through, no matter how simple the project is. Somebody will bungle up something somewhere, and there's usually the, the, the temptation <laughs> to fight. Even when I work with churches, in this country I have done big buildings more than eight times with churches, different churches. I, I, and I find that some of the project teams, they forget that they are even brethren when they are discussing. <laughs> that is when you know that Christianity can be put in one corner at times. <laughs> when some people fire some things like that, say, ah, bro, you too. <laughs> he has forgotten that he's a brother at that point. We are talking one million pounds here, so <laughs> brother will sit down first. <laughs> we are talking potential loss of half a million. Ah, brother forgot that his brother. <laughs> So, but what I find is that the more I am able to use the wisdom of God to always make sure that we don't allow discord to spread. I always say to them, friends, you know the philosophy? Every project will start and end, but relationships can be kept forever. And if you are wise in the business world, that's what you need. You don't do business to deliver now and fight and go away and then catch the next person. If you do like that, you can't go far. People who are successful in their business are people who have a way of maintaining a long-term clientele base. Check everywhere, no matter how rich they are. There are people who have been successful in keeping a customer base that is consistent and sustainable. So it is not just a principle you know about church. When you are even in such environments and somebody is trying to sow discord to bring a problem, you resist it because it has the potential to rob you of what is good. Some of the people that do business with me today, we have been together for 10 years, 15 years. At times, we don't do anything for three years, four years, and then suddenly they come back. Let us understand this. So every one of us must understand that we must not be allowing this. Number two, slandering. Slandering, maligning, and backbiting. Very similar, but the first one is that it doesn't have to do with a person. Rumor mongering doesn't have to do with a person. Gossip doesn't have to do with a person. It could be a situation, and Tail-bearing doesn't have to do with a person. That's group one. But this second group is really directly trying to, like we talked last week, give a false witness about a person with the ultimate intention of bringing discord between them and others. Slander is making a false verbal statement that damages someone's reputation before another. So as to cause a rift between two or more people. That's the intention. Slanders one so that he can bring a problem to the other with them. There are people who will come into two friends. Have you noticed such people? Two friends are having a relationship now. The moment the third person joins them, they fight. And if you watch the person, every relationship they enter like that, people always end up fighting. I've, I've noticed people like that. It's a terrible spirit. 
And most of the time, it's because they operate this spirit of slandering one against the other. They operate this spirit of maligning one against the other. They backbite about one to the other. And then before you know it, there's tension in that relationship and there is a rift. We must not live like that. Proverbs 10:18 says, Whoever hides hatred has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. Whoever spreads slander is a fool. Psalm 14:1 tells all the definition of a fool. He says, It's a fool that says in his heart there's no God. Such a person has no regard for God. That is why they can spread slander so easily. This is where we read when Pastor Lola led us earlier on in reading the story of Jonathan and David. Two brothers who God brought, I mean, two friends who God brought together that, that were like brothers. More than blood brothers. In fact, David described their relationship as like more than that between a man and a woman. They were so close. Not that they had sexual relationship, but they were so close. So close. Because there's no evidence of sexual relationship in the scripture. That's, that's my point. But the reality is that they were so close. They were so intimate. And Saul saw this. Now Saul did something. Where we read in the story, he wanted to catch David and kill him. And here was Jonathan protecting David. I'll read just a couple of verses there from what we had read. From verse 30. 1 Samuel 20, verse 30. When he saw that David did not, was not coming to the party, he said to him, Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. By the way, is he not the husband of the perverse, rebellious woman? That is for another day. He said, Do I not know that you have chosen the son of David to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Look at those vicious words to your own son. I don't know how a man can conjecture all these kind of words and speak to his own son. No matter what they've done, I just can't imagine. But you can see that the, the, the thing in the heart of this man was his own lost his own passion to just want to kill this man, David, who did him no wrong. He said, verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Trying to sow discord between Jonathan and David. David, uh, Jonathan said in verse 32, Look at that. And Jonah, let's read verse 32 together, everybody. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? What has he done? Why should he be killed? What has he done? Why do you want his head? What has he done to you? This is how some people should talk to members of churches who go and try to slander a pastor. You should ask them, what has he done to you? Has he not just been about helping you all this while? What has he done to you? Some people will foolishly take the kind of thing that Saul was presenting as if it was in their interest. Listen, Saul was not defending Jonathan's interest. It was all about him. Before he had these conversations with David, with Jonathan, he had tried to destroy Jonathan, uh, David many times. He had taken a spear, thrown it at David when David was playing the javelin that was supposed to be helping him get rid of evil spirits. So it was clear that the discord he wanted to sow between Jonathan and David is not so much that he was concerned about Jonathan becoming king, but rather just the fact that if he can get them to separate, he will fulfill his own inordinate ambition. 
the day David, the women sang. Somebody say women sang. Thank God for Mother's Day. Somebody say the women sang. That song caused problem for David. <laughs> the day the women sang a song that says Saul has slain his thousands, whatever that song was like, and David his ten thousands. That was the day. <laughs> that was when all of David's problems started. Somebody said the women sang. Women keep singing. Don't worry, keep singing. <laughs> but sing with sense. <laughs> Next time, don't go and sing to Saul like that. <laughs> don't go and sing to Saul. Don't go and sing to Saul. Don't give me problem with your husband. Don't every time your husband speaks, you say, but, but pastor doesn't talk like that. But pastor doesn't do that. You are killing me in your own house. <laughs> that man one day will just go with a gun. <laughs> God forbid. But you know something? You have to be very careful. They were very honest. But they caused problem for David. They caused problem for David. Since that very day, Saul was looking to kill David. He could not handle it anymore. So when he was talking to Jonathan, it looked as if it was Jonathan's interest. But no, he wanted to sow discord. But Jonathan was wise. He said, why? What has he done? What has he done? When somebody comes and speaks a rumor and tries to slander somebody, if they have not behaved to you that way ever, and you cannot see it in their character, Ask the person, are you sure about this? They say, ah, yes, I'm very sure you should take an action. I say, no, I will need to converse with them first. It always amazes me when somebody comes to talk to another person about a person they've known for long and they don't have the enough maturity to go and ask the person, so what is your friendship about? <laughs> what is your friendship about? You say you are my friend and then somebody now comes and says, ah, do you know Pastor David said this or Pastor David did this or did that? So what is your friendship if you just say, ah, he true, eh, serious. I'm gone. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with him again. What is your friendship? If you cannot come and ask me, I say, ah, pastor, this is what I heard about you. Do you know that there are things I've heard about me that I used to, I used to sit my wife that has that. Is it possible for somebody to be like this and they will not know? <laughs> there are things that I've heard about me that even shock me that they say it's me that did it. <laughs> I will call her. I've called her about two times. I said, I heard that they said I did this or I said this. I said, please, is it possible that somebody can be like this and they don't know it? Because I don't know how they are <laughs> attributing this to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. So even me, I'm surprised. So if you are surprised, come and ask me. I will tell you. Me too, I'm surprised. <laughs> very surprised. <laughs> I'm very surprised. Let us understand that all the intention of such people is something about their selfish gain. It's about them. You think they love you, but what they want is that relationship. Some of them envy the relationship you have with somebody. They envy the relationship you have with the boss. They envy the relationship you have with a colleague in the workplace. So they come and talk bad about them so that you can hate them. And then before you know it, you see that they are close to the same person they made you hate. (laughs) Don't joke with people who come to slander others, malign others, and backbite others. Finally... This is very close to the first two, but it is in a class by itself, I put it. Spreading bitterness. Spreading bitterness. Number one was what? Rumor mongering, gossip, and talebearing. Number two, slandering, maligning, backbiting a person before others. Number three, spreading bitterness. This one I must talk about. Bitterness is spread by disgruntled people. Disgruntled people who now seek to disrupt the peace of friendships or assemblies. When they get bitter, they are disgruntled. 
Let me tell you the root of bitterness. It comes from anger. The root of bitterness is anger. And I want to tell you something about anger. What you should know about anger is that God allows anger for one purpose. The Bible says be angry and what? And do not sin. So why should God say be angry? It's because he allows anger for one thing. Every time you are angry about something, it is for a step to be taken. It's for an action to be taken. But the problem is when you don't take that action, it becomes a frustration inside you and then you become disgruntled. What am I trying to say here? If somebody, for example, in a church, somebody just says, why is this church not doing prison ministry? Why are they not involved in prison ministry? It's such a rich area, and there are many people who are in prison ministry, and blah, 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 blah. And they are getting angry about the church not doing prison ministry. What do you think God is saying there? Go and do it. <laughs> That's ministry open. That is God, God speaking to you to take a step to say, I want to start prison ministry. And the church will give you 100% support, anything they can, except it's just not possible within their means. Anything they can, they will give you a team, at least help you as a person individually first to go do it because it is something God laid on your heart. But you know what happens in many cases out of lack of wisdom? The person, instead of having such a conversation, they get frustrated and that frustration turns to them being disgruntled and then they get bitter. And then they now start spreading that bitterness. They start speaking about that bitterness to others. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Be at peace. But look at verse 15. Everybody, let's read verse 15 together. Looking carefully, lest anyone falls short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness, look at it now, springing up, cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Many become defiled. Some time ago, I was listening to Pastor John MacArthur just about the time this church started. Pastor John has been in ministry over 50 years now. Many, many years. One of the very seasoned preachers of our time. Very sound, theologically. (laughs) At times, I even say too sound. (laughs) Very deep, deep teacher of the word of God. And John MacArthur was saying something. That in the 80s, when their church was very new, they were just hitting 1,000 people. And one day he came to church, 400 people had been pulled away by a group of people who were disgruntled. And he he said till today that he never understood what it was they were disgruntled about. But what he did over 40 years, about 30 to 40 years at that point, was that he was watching the lives of many people that were pulled away out of that person's disgruntled action. And that in many cases, it was a very sad story. Some of those people were no longer in church. Some of them were in church, but definitely not operating at the levels they ought to be operating after such a long time. Some of those people lost their marriages. Then it occurred to him that people who get bitter should not just be treated with kid glove. The moment you spot bitterness, before, please put back Hebrews 12.15 for me. Before it springs up, and cause trouble and defile many, you deal with it very quickly. Deal with it very quickly. Call the person and say, brother, sister, what is the problem here? Is there an issue we need to resolve? 
And if the person says, I'm angry about this, I'm angry, if you can address it, fine. If you cannot address it, ask them what they think should be done about it. Before you allow bitterness, it can happen in a church, it can happen in a marriage. A husband is always complaining about something, a wife is always complaining about something. Before they become bitter about what they're explaining, ask them, what do you think we can do? Many times you will find that the solution, they themselves don't have it. As long as there is no solution, you say, honey, I can sense your passion. I can sense what you believe we should be doing. But you and I have agreed that it's not yet time. We don't have capacity yet. Let us be praying towards it and deal with that root of bitterness. It is very important because the Bible says it can spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defied. May God not allow us to be spreaders of evil report out of bitterness in the name of Jesus. Bitterness is a second nature to the unregenerated and unrepentant mind. Let us not allow it at all. Let's not allow it. In my years of ministry, few years of ministry, I have found that it is very easy to spot it. I used to think it was a complex thing. It's very easy. At times, you can almost cut it with a, with a knife. It is strong. You feel the vibes from the person. It's a spirit. They may be right today, but when bitterness sets in, it starts with a bit of complaint here and there, disgruntled here and there, laxity here and there, not caring here and there, and then, you know, you're not taking calls here and there, those little, little things. And you need to watch it not from a suspicious angle, but from a spiritual perspective. So that if it starts to show that this is amounting to bitterness, call the person in love and say, brother, let's... Let's discuss over a cup of coffee. <laughs> Let's have coffee, coffee together and discuss this matter. Call the sister. Don't allow bitterness to grow because it can defile many. God is not happy when many people are led astray by others. When people sow discord, what happens is that there is a separation, there is a fight, and at times, usually, one group is led astray. Abraham's servants, Lot's servants, started to strife. Somebody must have sown discord, and they started to strife. Some of those people lost their lives in Sodom and Gomorrah. We didn't hear about them. They went with Lot. We know that Lot escaped with his family, apart from his wife that turned to a pillar of salt. But there must have been some of those people who were part of the strife, and those people that went with Saul that might have died in that fire. Think about it. Strife has never paid off. That's why God hates it. May God continue to rid every one of our associations of strife in Jesus' name. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, it says verse 14, it says there is no one who does good, no, not one, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. That is Romans 3 verse 14. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I conclude this by saying to us, it takes purity of heart to avoid being an agent of discord. Peacemaking attracts blessing. Seek to be a peacemaker. Seek to be a peacemaker. Two people are about to fight. Seek to be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in the heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It is good to see people make peace. You should not enjoy seeing people go spreading, going apart. Seek to always... See that brethren dwell together in unity. It commands a blessing. 
First Peter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, let's desire the sincere milk of the word. Are you with me on my scriptures? First Peter 2, verse 2. So that you can grow thereby. The last scripture I'll read is Titus 3. I'm reading these scriptures because I want us to go think about them again. Titus 3, verse 10. He said, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Reject them. You have advised them first time. You have advised them second time. You have a right to put them away. If you call the brother, brother, why are you disgruntled? Why? What's the problem here? Oh, my team is not doing this. In fact, this church is not doing this. It's not doing that. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's see what we can do. And then it goes down. After some time again, it comes up again. Oh, this is it. You know what? You have a right. This rejection doesn't mean hatred. It just simply means allow them to move on. Allow them to move on. God told me one simple formula about church. Why I would never need to fight anybody. He said, I called you. Everybody you see around you, I brought them by time. He said, anytime they say they want to move on, he said, let them go. He said, never hold on to anybody. I'm not keeping with you. <laughs> so that is why you see anybody that comes to me, say they are going. I say, are you sure it's time? You sure you want to go? Okay, God bless you. We release you. Shakra pukuta yakaka. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> I don't sit down telling you, you are not under my covering and all those nonsense. <laughs> There's no covering. Even me, I'm looking for covering under God. <laughs> so any pastor that tells you, you are leaving my covering, you are leaving, he's a liar. He's a liar. He has no covering. If God removed the so-called covering from him, he too is a dead man. <laughs> There's no need to strive with anybody. Abraham said, look at the whole land. It's so big. Why are our people fighting? He said, choose anywhere you want to choose. So when somebody comes to you and he goes, you say, hey, brother, calm down. It seems it's time for you. You see, this Warsaw is very big. <laughs> if you want to go to Wolverhampton, you want to go to anywhere. It's so big. I'll pray for you. Tell me where God is leading you to. He say, God is Shikarakaka, London. Okay. Father, we release him to London. Rise to your feet and let's thank God. Well,